Ladies and gentlemen, stand cheer for the Bulldog Fans Podcast. Here's your hosts, Matt and Scott, on their way down the tunnel at ANZ Stadium, on their way to the microphone. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up. Go up as one for Matt and Scott, the NRL Bulldogs Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Bulldogs Fans Podcast. I'm Scott. I'm joined by Matt. How are you, mate? Good. How are we doing? Yeah, not too bad. It's I wouldn't say too great. Uh, power win, so that's never a good thing in general mm. against the Bulldogs. And then Sydney into some restrictions. Well, the only one good thing we can say is there's no NRL this week and the Origin's not being played here, so maybe there's some positives in that one. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see any positive look at it. Yeah. So hopefully that could be gone before the thing uh before the NRL comes back next week because I tell you what, I'm gonna be at all the games this year. I made that commitment after last year. So they're gonna to have to try to keep me out if there's any more further restrictions in the following weeks to come. Uh let's go into the news officially. We spoke about this one last week. Uh Dallin Watt and Aza Lesniak signs with the Warriors for three and a half years. It became a pretty bad secret, I guess one of the worst secrets going around. He announced it after the game against the Eels, and then the very next day, the the Warriors and his, and his Instagram announced that he'll be joining the Warriors. We said a lot last week, so I would just wish him all the best again. He's been nothing but a good club man, uh, and he's you can never doubt that his effort was always 110%, no matter what. Uh, so good luck to the next chapter. And being a proud Kiwi, it must be a good. It will be a good moment when he dons on the Warriors jersey for the first time. So all the best to the to Dallin and his family when into the next chapter. Um, moving on, Luke Thompson has copped a fine for $1,350 uh, $1, for his late shot on Dylan Brown, which I saw him get sin-binned from that one. That one uh, caused a little bit of controversy. Uh, was that a sin-bin in your eyes? You were at the game, Tommy? Well, it's really confusing because um, I think it's the first time this year I've been at a game where they've gone back multiple plays to send someone to the sin-bin, and they need to do a better job um, communicating what exactly is going on to the crowd. Um, mm. No one, no. all of a sudden the game was stopped, the player was uh, brought up to the referee, no one saw what happened, and off to the bin he went with no reasoning. They even have the referee mic'd up. So I thought that part was quite poor. Um, it's just the way the game is at the moment, I guess, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I look at that and I don't know if it's maybe a bulldog's eye. Like, I mean, I, I'm not going to try to argue the fact that him in the head and... Mm. Well, that maybe I don't know if it was like uh, I. I mean, it was confusing at home. To add to your point, like Fox Sports were wondering what was going on. Yeah, and so even saying that from a person who was at the game, I wasn't at this one. Um, from a point of view of watching it from home, again, that was we took us a while to catch up with what was actually happening and what went on. Um, we found yeah. out more as the game progressed, unfortunately. So yes, yeah, so the communication and getting that. I'm to be honest. I'd yeah, sorry, I was just going to add, I haven't actually gone back and watched any vision of the game since the game. So mm. I haven't seen a KO Mini or anything like that, so I've only seen the incident once on the big screen. So okay. it's hard for me to... I was going to just say, I don't know, me, if I remember it correctly, because I only watched this shot once, I haven't looked back too much on this game that I do on many games. Um, I thought it was not direct contact to the head. Do you know how there's usually that direct forceful contact to the head that's in the bin or sent off? Mm. I thought it uh, might have slid up. So I thought he might have copped it on report, penalty sufficient, and we keep Luke Thompson. That's but in saying that, if anyone's listening and they might have seen it and it was 
direct into the head. If it was directed head, it's fair enough. But I, from what I saw from that one look, I only looked at it once, mm. and I remember having uh, the shits and moving on kind of thing when it just felt like everything was uh, crumbling in that second half. So maybe mm. might have missed it. But yeah, it was a confusing point. I wanted to see what it was like at the game because I haven't actually been at a game as well. What that situation happening where they go back two tackles mm. or three or whatever it is to get the player sin binned or sent off. So yeah, that's, inter- that's interesting. Um, Adam Elliott is out for six weeks uh, with a cheekbone fracture. That was a weird one, uh, watching that one. He fell down with what looked like an ankle injury, and then it turned to be a head clash. His ankle had to be strapped up, and off he went for a HIA. That was a, <laughs> a bizarre one, if there was one. Um, Lucky thought... we got a lot of second rowers in the team. Yeah, the squad. But... <laughs> <laughs> Funny, but I thought, uh, I thought he played his best game against the Dragons. For a while, I think Adam Elliott mm. knows he can be way better than what he has been this year. And I thought he started actually going into some sort of form. So I think that loss could be bigger than what we'll bigger than what it looked like if it happened like five weeks ago. I thought he was starting to play into some form, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, um, but to add to your point, another injury has hit. Now, this one happened the week before, but it's now been confirmed. Chris Smith has suffered a grade one symptomosis ankle injury, and he'll be out for the next six weeks as well. So a replacement there has been taken down as well. Like he's played a bit of top grade in the back row this year, so he could have been yeah. filling in. So he's also out for six weeks. But like you said, so Woodell to start and Stimson on the bench. Yeah, or you got Jackson Topany. Yep, as well. So there yeah. you go. We've got cover for that position. So you never want to see players get injured. But if at this point in time we're going to have injuries, let's have them to the back row where we've got tons of players. Yeah, we even got like Dean Britt playing off the interchange bench and forwards in uh, Visuals yeah. Gup, and he's a naturally a back rower as well. So, so there you go. <laughs> a few more. Okay, right, so let's talk about it at Benquest Stadium on Sunday afternoon, 2 p.m. kickoff. Parramatta Eels run away uh, victors, 36 points to 10 over the Bulldogs. Mm. At halftime, though, it looked like it was going to be a good day. It looked like almost two in a row was on its way. 10 points to, was it six at halftime? 10-6, yeah. Yeah, well, I should have done that research. Yeah, 10-6 yeah. <laughs> at halftime was looking pretty good. Um, playing well, you know, mm. it was a bit, uh, the conditions weren't great. I mean, you could tell it's a bit more, it was a bit cold, a bit wet. Yeah. Yeah, it will do. Um, look, dare I say it, it was a game of two halves. <laughs> um, that's got takes a swig of what I can only assume is a beer. <laughs> um, yeah, well, yeah, it was a game of two halves, wasn't it? Um, luckily, luckily, the weather held off for me to get into the ground and get home as well. Uh, but during the game, um, some harsh conditions, uh, wet and windy and pretty cold. As well, it was actually fluctuating temperature-wise throughout the game. There's parts where you sit there really cold, and there's parts where you you take your jacket off. So it was quite interesting inside mm. the stadium. Tell you what, first half, how good was it? it looked like um, the dogs were playing some really good football, um, putting pressure on Parramatta, forcing repeat sets, um, dominating parts of that half, and really looked like um, we're going to give them a a close tussle. Uh, you were saying that you thought we we'll, were going to win after that. Um, big big call, only four points up with 40 minutes to go. Uh, however, the second half, the, the team just didn't come out of the sheds. And Parramatta, credit to them, they played a better performance in the second half than they did the first, but uh, we really dropped off, um, mm. unfortunately, 
in that second half. Um, I think that's the most disappointing thing. Um, probably only put one 80 minute performance in this season. Um, in every other game since, well, every other game, we only play half a footy game. You look mm. back at the Penrith game and a few other occasions this year. Um, great 40 minutes followed up by an equally disappointing second 40 minutes. I want to say, if we came out with the the same intensity, the Parramatta looked very uncomfortable. And this was the, the stuff I was talking about, the repeat sets, pressure. Uh, there was a lot of kick pressure. I, I don't know if you noticed, Mitchell Moses was taken a lot, a lot of the time after he kicked the ball. These were things. I know they're little tiny things, but they all add up. And players like Mitchell Moses, he's one not to like any of that at all. Mm. Uh, he doesn't like it. Uh, or he'll try to milk anything if he thinks it's slightly late and he will do whatever. But he doesn't like it when a player ruffles, roughs him up a bit and, you know... Perfect first half. I want to say that, like, you know, we play like that against most teams. Mm. More, more often or not, we're going to be leading at halftime. I mean, we can start extending that to 60, 70-minute performance. We're probably going to win more games than we lose if we play that style. Mm. And we played well to the conditions. Uh, You've got to take the positive out of it that we're leading a top-four team. We're leading a top-four team um, after 40 minutes. Yeah, I don't know if, if there was a mental thing in the second half because when they came out to play in the second half, uh, there was errors, there was mistakes. Like, there was things that they weren't doing in the first half. Like, I'll go back to the... I think the moment where the game turned on its head was that set where uh, the penalty try was given uh, to mm. the Eels. I'm not debating that penalty try. I don't want to be the one to say that's not <laughs> a penalty try. I've seen some on Twitter and... All that so really? you have to be oh, 100% pretty, certain. Pretty textbook. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the hun- I want to just make it clear for those who may be listening. It's not 100% certain anymore. You, That's never been. I don't think, I don't, yeah, well, they, there's always been the commentary who said you've got to be 100% certain. I remember that going about five, six years ago. Oh, it's been going it's, for a long time, but it's never been in the rule book. Yeah, so let's take away the 100% certain. Uh, yes, Wakem possibly could have yeah. made some sort of contact legally after he towed the ball forward and could have stuffed uh, could have ended the try but uh, the way they were running and Moses had that little bit of that that nice angle Wakem was coming you know you put the angles into your head and all that in my it, opinion it yeah it would have been a try I think the, the most likely option of not being a no try is if Moses actually boots it again that's that's how much I'm confident that he would have got there and scored a try so I'm happy to go off that call what I'm not happy with was the tackle five option that Avrilo uh, and Napa get mixed up with each other and Wakem's on the other end of it. Uh, it's one of those ones where I feel like it's an Avrilo slash Napa error where cool. poor Wakem gets pinned for the, you know, the infringement. It's one of those ones, it feels like when you, when you throw a pass like at someone's ankles and they knock yeah. it on and they get hit with the error on their name. Yeah, well, it felt like that because it was like... Yeah, so I was very disappointed in Av- Avrilo, like option there. Like I know Napa said, and I'm disappointed Napa to like not get out of the way. Um, it was What's poor... Napa doing, standing in between? Avrilo was a dummy half too, wasn't he? No, he got ball past him first oh, out. Okay. Looks and it was okay. them three. I don't know what Napa was just dozing yeah. at the background, or I don't know why you got your your front rower sitting in between your two playmakers on tackle five. Yeah, and he should have been usually the one to do protection or run that line yeah. in front of the kicker. Um, so it's a big one for Napa, but I don't know. I feel like Avril like pinned it at him. It was just like hit him. 
And I think if you're in that situation, you'll be prepared all the time to catch the ball. Yeah, no, nah, it looked like Avarillo was passing to the chest to wake him and just yeah. didn't take consideration to the body standing there. But look, yeah, that's, that's, that moment, that's disappointing. Well, that just shows you that they did come out to play the second half, didn't it? Yeah, well, that moment it there... It shows a difference in um, the first half and the second half in like five seconds. Um, yeah, it's really, really disappointing, especially after, we've said this before, you get the hope that um, you got to compete. Um It'll be with a chance to win, especially against the arch rivals, and to fall away like that is very disappointing. Um, again, some patches of good form, but I'll tell you what, heading into that game, I pro- if you're telling me the Eels were going to win 36 10, I probably would have taken it the way the season's going and the way Parramatta are putting away some sides. Mm. So, pre game, would have been happy with that. After the first half, definitely very disappointing. Yeah, good. Just an interesting one, actually, before I move on to my next uh, thing, is Matt Checken went to the video referee with that penalty try, mm. went to the video referee and said, I've got to try. Confirm it. I thought you could not go to the video referee for try. Uh, he probably misspoke. He probably had to say penalty try. Yeah, but I thought he would just have to blow the whistle and then be like, can you check that for me? It might, or there might be a little... Asterisks for penalty tries. Okay, I, think no. I, I think I saw it somewhere else, actually. Some, I can't think of where. Um, but maybe... A, yeah, then we'll move we on. We might have to look into that. I think, uh, just jumping into my memory now, I think there might have been something that said that the referee does reserve the right to challenge himself type thing by going to the bunker. So okay. maybe, maybe in a rare occasion like that. With a penalty try, I don't mind it. Because in reality, think about it, what's going to happen if he blows a penalty try? Well, as soon as he blows it, the time will be off because uh, they'll be checking it that closely to make yeah. sure it's correct. So I'm not too um, too disheartened by that. What what upset me a little bit, um, well, not upset me, but uh, what got to me a little bit, Scotty, just coming to mind now, is that try to Parramatta in the first half where it was reviewed after being awarded, and 99 times out of 100 when uh, the monkey comes in to review oh, yes, a try yes. after Madison, it is yep, rewarded, yep. it is overturned because they found something. So once uh, we saw the referee in the stand stop the conversion to review the, the try that was just awarded, uh, you, start, you start to, uh, as a Bulldog fan, get a bit happy. Yeah, we're going this for this year. Yeah, They've seen it. something, even though I couldn't see it. They've seen something, and here we go. It's going to be overturned. And one of the rare occasions this year, it's actually still going through as a try. Yeah, that's actually that's true. Um, one thing I want to say after that, I don't know if Jake Avrilo's uh, confidence after the uh, penalty try uh, got to him, because after that, he led in uh, Sean Lane straight through a gap that he missed, he didn't cover. And straight through the Eels strolled in and scored a pretty easy try. And if you didn't know then that the game was over, you you pretty much know after a big second row goes flying through the line and runs that far to score. Um, it just was just went all pear shaped. We couldn't catch the ball. We couldn't catch a six again. We couldn't get a apparently when we did get the ball, we weren't making any meters with it. So it was a completely like you said, a game of two halves. And uh, again, it was positives. From that, they can take forward, and they should believe they 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 are a good football side because they can compete with some of the best teams. Yeah, it's just they got to do it for eighty minutes. This, and look, this Parramatta, is the next step. 
Parramatta's not a team that's going to be winning any premiership shortly, but they are in the top four. And um, it's really good. They should take a lot of confidence out of the fact that they held a top four team to a 10 6 uh, deficit at halftime. Uh, so anyone below Parramatta on the ladder, hopefully now they, the players are able to go into the game feeling really confident that they can beat anybody. Well, tell you what, after watching the uh, uh, Raiders Dragons, I was like, can we play them more often, please? <laughs> While we go to the points for this week, I found it difficult to hand points out. You said it was pretty easy. Yeah, look, despite um, the talk there about Dylan Napa, I've actually given him my two points. The only forward in the game to reach over 100 metres uh, and doing that off the bench. So, uh, and not just reaching over 100, uh, 164 metres from 18 total runs. Um, pretty big effort. Um, if you look at the, some of the other stats, uh, some players fell short of the 100-meter mark by about 20 meters or more, uh, some of the leaders as well. So I think you've got to give credit there to Dylan Napa for his effort there. Uh, and also that try, to put himself in a position to mm. score that try after the deflection. Oh, um, that was, that was, I love when a prop scores, hey. It, just, yeah, it gives yeah. me extra joy, doesn't it? It gives me extra <laughs> joy. I jump twice as high. I love when a big fella goes yeah. over. For him to have the anticipation and get himself into the right position to get to that um, reflection and get us across the line, I think that's something that put uh, confidence in the team as well, um, heading forward into the rest of that half. So uh, I think it's well-deserved there. Two points to a man on the bench. That doesn't happen too often. Could be a <laughs> And I have one point to Aaron Shop. Uh, continuing to be impressive in his first few games in the NRL. Uh, 14 runs, 115 metres. Uh, only four, or 43 post-contact metres. It's not a bad effort. Uh, most of any of the backs. Um, doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're at the game, watching him take some of those strong runs and bending the line back on most occasions was pretty good to see in person. Um, it's not as tall as I thought he might have been, although I was up on the second tier, but he's definitely built quite strong. Uh, looks like he's got a low centre of gravity too. He's definitely showing some really good signs to being, you know, a long-term uh, centre at the club. So one point for me to Aaron Shop. This might be a first, but we've gone with two different players. No no bonus points this week. Four, yeah, you mean four different players. Oh, yeah, I just mean our two is different. Yeah, yep. but, uh, uh So there's no bonus points to be given. Uh, so Luke Thompson uh, breathes a little easier on top of the <laughs> on top of the ladder there. I've given one point to Brandon Wakeham. I thought the first half was absolutely perfect. I thought he was, you know, that classy pass to Ikatoa there. I thought he played yeah, it's just, pretty. Just on that, they set that up for about twenty minutes. Yes, <laughs> he put some class, like some. Uh, he did some of the repeat sets. He was uh, grubbing it a little bit uh, close to the line. I thought he was, you know, playing. I thought it was the most, like, confident he's looked since he's been ba- back in the side at 5'8". Like, it's, it feels like he's starting to believe the fact that, you know, he's the first choice 5'8 in that first half. So I thought he deserved a point on an encouragement. I thought at halftime, I was thinking, oh, this could be the Wakeham show. That pass to Tui Katoa, I could watch that all day. A couple of repeat sets in there as well, which is good. Yeah, so I, I just could watch that pass all day, that... Just over the top. I thought it was perfect. It was a classy act. He's that's the potential of the player he can be, and mm. doing it more often. And I think we saw a little bit of it. I think there's still so much more to see as well. So, I think that I mean, if he's got the potential. It's up to him where he takes the uh, takes it next. Um, and I've given two points to Jeremy Marshall King 
again. I don't know. I thought, you know, 80 minutes again, this guy's came back from injury. He made 50 tackles, very busy in defense, uh, and he ran for 72 meters out of dummy half again. So he's looking to be a bit of a threat and looking to get his involvement in the games up. And I thought he played pretty good in a losing side. Something I did pick up during the game, Scotty. We'll go for the top five, what that means in a second. Yeah. Something I did pick up during the game is Lick Kotrick went off of HIA. You didn't see it? No, not at the game. Um, mm. So, yeah, I didn't know that until I watched the press conference with Barrett. Um, yeah, so obviously we, we obviously, I guess, some defence um, of the performance in the second half was to lose both wiggers with a HIA. Uh, hurts, <laughs> hurts tremendously. Mm. Um, so, so what happened? It was a Hopper White in shop on the wing with a couple of back rowers in the centres, was it? Yeah, Hopper yeah, ended up on the wing when she got ran yeah. around at the end there, pretty yeah. comfortably. Yeah, shop was on the other wing. Yeah, Waddell. Waddell went. I think Waddell played both centres because he covered with Hopper Whitey and shop for a while, so he was pretty much wherever. And um, we lost Elliot as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, we... I don't know. It was just a makeshift team. There's a bit of carnage there as well, so it would be remiss of us not to mention those things. Anyway, top five, Luke Thompson still the outright leader on 22 points. I think he got quite a few bonus points early on, uh, or when he when he was early on in his season, we'll say. Uh, Dallin Watanay's Lezniak in second. I wonder yeah, how long he'll stay there, or should we remove him from the list? No, I think there? he deserves to stay there. He's played this year, and... Will he finish top five? I'm going to go out on a limb and say we'll still finish in the top five. We'll see a bit later. In third, Nick Meany. So uh, Thompson, 22 points. What's the latest? 13. Nick Meany in third on 11 points. Uh, and then Jake Avarillo, eight points. And rounding out the top five, uh, courtesy of two points given by Scott today, uh, Jeremy Marshall King on seven. Hey, he does, I reckon he deserves to be up there after. I didn't say he didn't. I'm just saying <laughs> that's, that's how he got in there. Sweet. Well, that will, we've wrapped the, the uh, top five up. We'll run straight through the lower grade watch. Um, uh, Kerry Bankstown Bulldogs 32 defeat the Paramount Eels 16 in the jersey flag on Saturday. That was nice to get a win over the Eels there. Uh, played at uh, Ring Rose Park in uh, win, uh, the winning leagues club. Yeah, nice. Yeah. I don't know. I just like that uh, Leagues Club. It's a nice one. Um, <laughs> uh, that means the Jersey Flag also have a week off this week. So not uh, too much to cheer Bulldogs on. If you're if you're just a Bulldogs fan through and through, uh, you're going to struggle to have a, a quiet weekend at home. Uh, the Harvey Norman Women's Premiership, the Mounties, uh, the Mountie Girls, 42, defeat the Wentworthville, uh, Wendy Magpies, 4. Uh, they've had a tremendous season on the wins and stuff like that. They will actually they finish the regular season in second place, uh, below the Roosters. Uh, they will have a week off because the top six makes the finals, so they've got the week off this week. So we can't put too much tabs onto that at all. So congratulations to them for finishing the top two and uh, enjoying a week off in uh, the final. So we wish them all the best in a fortnight's time. Uh, the New South Wales Cup, the Parramatta Eels twenty-two defeating the Mounties six. I thought we could uh, talk about that one. I don't know. if Were you at the game that early? No, not this week. We didn't get there quite as early for that. We saw the last oh, 25, 30 minutes of that game. Okay. So that game, I would say, is probably one of the most, as being watching the Mounties, it's the first time they've lost on TV this year. Um, fun fact, because they've beaten the Panthers and the Raiders, some top uh, classy sides. 
that was a game of just nothing but disappointment, as in errors, then penalties, this ill-disciplined side. It was a very ill-disciplined side. I could imagine Mick Potter and Trent Barrett was watching it early on. For those who watched it early on, this there was promising defence. I walked in about two minutes before Ferguson, or maybe five minutes before Ferguson picked the ball up and ran the whole field. Well, first half, uh, the Mounties couldn't hold the ball. Parramatta had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and they could only get to a 6-0 lead. And the territory and the possession stats were just all facing the Eels. And they said they've never seen a team with, it was something like they had 70% of the ter- uh, territory and 60-something percent of the ball. So all the game was being played in the Mounties' half. And for some rate, it was 12-6 in the second half for a big chunk of it. And everyone it was going, can you believe the Mounties are still on it? Trent Barrett must be like, you know, licking his lips, look at this character. But it just eventually, you know, you can't just keep making errors early on and, you know, it just eventually gets to you and the Eels end up running away winners and they probably deserve to win. The Eels did throw a lot and it was really good defense from Mounty. So I don't think the scoreboard reflects how the scoreboard reflects how poor their handling was and uh, their discipline was. However, their defense was outstanding. The Eels had so many chances. It could have easily been a game where it was 60 to 6, the chances that the Eels had. So they had, you have to tip your hat to defense. Uh, I want to also put to bed that the people saying on uh, social media that Kyle Flanagan didn't have a good game. I'm, my uh, thing would be, how can you have a good game when you'd never get decent ball? You know, as a half, there was too many errors, too many penalties, too many six against, and rightfully so. Like, it was appalling. I was calling six more, and the referee called six more like a second later. Like, so it wasn't... Um, it was justified. So it was a little bit disappointing. But one thing I do want to bring up, which is unrelated, when the uh, Mounties scored, Jackson uh, Topany crossed the, the line... I actually love him. Hopefully he gets into top grade uh, soon, especially if Elliot gone. That would be my choice. Um, Kyle Flanagan was lining up a goal kick, and we saw that earlier the Bulldogs players came out to watch a bit of it, and you saw the Bulldogs players on the sideline. Some of the Parramatta players also watched. Uh, and the Parramatta players hurling abuse at Kyle Flanagan, lining up a goal kick, led with Gufferson and Moses and uh, all that. They, they do love to see themselves on camera. They were posing behind Flanagan, while he was trying to line up his goal kick and things were said because Flanagan turned around and gave him a big smile when he nailed the goal kick in pretty tough conditions. But I thought that was a pretty low form. Like, you're meant to be top graders representing your club and hurling things at a reserve grade game. Yeah, well... <laughs> I don't know. I just thought, I've never seen that before. Like, in a top grade team waiting to play... I suppose it's no difference to... Um... A fan in the crowd doing it, um, or something like that. There's a famous story about um, Andrew Johns doing a similar thing to Jason Taylor <laughs> at an NRL game that Jason Taylor was playing at. Andrew Johns was on the hill at, uh, I suppose. But you know, team full of uh, those type of players. Uh, what do you expect? Yeah, I, I don't. Know. I think it's poor form. I think you know, you re- I know you, you're dead. I, I'm- very good that all those Eels players watched their New South Cup as much as they can before they had to head in and prepare for the NRL match. Mm. Like Good on them and good on for the Bulldogs players, which looked like almost every Bulldogs player was standing in the tunnel watching it. Um, yeah. Good on them for supporting some of their teammates and their uh, feeder team for, well, as much, did, for as long as they it's can. It's interesting, Scott. Some of the um, Pillar of Panthers this year have been accused of being arrogant, so where does that leave the Parramatta Eels players? Well, in particular, some. I I think if we can just add on to that, I, I've been one to say that Pan, the uh, there has been arrogancy from Panthers, but sometimes when you're so young and winning that much, it's hard not to get a little bit carried away. 
But if we're calling the Panthers arrogant, if that's where we want well, to call them, not. the media was. No, but if we want to call them arrogant, yeah, we need to make a new word for Parramatta because <laughs> they're next level. That's in my opinion. Like if we're going to call Penrith arrogant, and the thing is, if you're going to be, let's loosely use the term arrogant or overly confident, yeah, then you got to back it up. And I think uh, Penrith have definitely done that over the last eighteen months, two years. No, they can't lose a game with their stars in. <laughs> Parramatta got a long way to go to reach those levels. Yeah, well, they can't. They make the finals, and that's about it. <laughs> they can make a top four, yeah. but they tend not oh, to go yeah, past three two. Yeah, absolutely. Fun. So no old dog this week. So we, we thought we'll uh, get the questions out there to our fans all over the social media. We got just only a couple this week, but I think some big ones that uh, can keep us busy just for the next uh, little bit. Uh, first question comes from our good friend, and uh, he's been on the uh, podcast twice, uh, Trenosaurus. Uh, where do you see see ourselves going from here? Uh, we're able to hold a top team for 45 uh, minutes. What can the boys do to improve our defensive play, and how can we make our attacking game efficient to the point where we can score more uh, score more tries? Uh, I think that's a, uh, definitely a conversation just after the Eels game. Uh, yeah, well, that could be an episode in itself. 45 minutes, that's a bit generous. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking 40 was... Uh, but I may, it may be talking a bit about the Panthers game as well. That was uh, some really yeah. good defensive plays there. Uh, there was patches against Melbourne where we looked good. Um, I want to even add to the patches against South Sydney where we looked really good for like 15 mm-hmm. or 20 minutes. Where we were actually the better side until we made a mistake and South scored and that was the end. And you know We made a mistake against Penrith for their second try and that felt like the end and then a penalty try. So it seems like we... Do it to yeah. ourselves a bit more than teams we're, do it to us. We're a really inexperienced team, so we're going to have those ups and downs um, from week to week and in some cases half to half, unfortunately. And I think that's probably the biggest um, the biggest reason to why uh, we've got defensive lapses and only playing 40 minutes here and there. <sighs> It sounds it's really hard to answer this question without sounding like the coach, isn't it? Um, play well in patches. If you put all the patches together from all the games that you've seen, it looks like a really good team. <laughs> it looks like a top eight team, especially this year. So um, I, I don't think we're too far away. I just think that we're we're quite inexperienced. So we need a couple of more experienced players to be recruited in and be able to guide the team around. Uh, I definitely think we need more oomph in the pack. How many times have I spoke about that? Um, I don't think there's anything wrong per se in the defensive structures because we've seen it be successful um, for parts throughout the year. Uh, It's just doing that for 80 minutes and being able to go for 80 minutes doing that. And then you've got... um, It's good to see recently too that we've really brought that back. Our defence has really... Character and defence has really come back recently as well. Uh, compared to earlier in the year. In attack, well, you've got two rookies in the halves, uh, a former half player hooker as well, who's doing quite well, but uh, has only played a couple of games back from injury. <laughs> which kind of leads us into the next question coming up, uh, which we'll get to later. But overall, I don't think there's too much that um, needs to be overhauled. It's just that we need a couple of key players and key positions and a bit more experience out there. 
Uh, thanks, Mr. Barrett, for... Oh, sorry, it was Matthew. Sorry, no, no. no I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I think you answered that well. Uh, um, uh, where do I see myself going from here? I think now uh, I, I want to say this as a bit of a, a joke. Uh, we're the first team of the season, that's including the Broncos, because the Broncos are yet to have their bye, where we need to win every game to have a mathematical chance of making the finals. I, I say that every yeah. year. I say that every year. No matter who's coming in that position... I always rule out the, t- or you know, circle the team who needs to win every game because it's like you got to yeah. win the remaining games of the year. That's came a bit earlier than what it should have, um, unfortunately, for anyone down there. But um, where do you see yourselves going from here? So if I'm talking about this year from here, I'll set a challenge. Uh, obviously, we don't want the wooden spoon. Uh, you look at games. We've got the Sharks, the Tigers, uh, just a couple of games I looked coming up. We have Manly next as well after Origin. I got to start. I st- I don't know if it's a wishful thinking, but I've got a feeling that uh, you won't see too many of the Origin players back up. Well, we've uh, got, um, I think Jake Trebojevic is still will still be out injured. Um, Turbo did back up last time. Yeah, I've got a feeling. A full week between games, maybe he won't back up this time. I just got, I don't know. I just got a feeling that you know we we're no threat to them in like position of the ladder. I think it just depends on how uh, they'll be named in the squad. Um, I don't. I mean, uh, Cherry Evans backed up last time. He might get the week off this time, or maybe maybe it's a turn between Turbo and Cherry Evans. I tell you what, if Turbo doesn't play, don't care about the rest. We definitely go in with a, you know, very uh, very very good chance. Like once Tur- I think if Turbo plays and he actually plays at least half a game, that's when we're in some strife. Uh, you can see what he does. He just dismantled team. So look at this. There's a couple of games where I think we can win. Uh, definitely with just a few looking a few weeks out. I think we set the challenge. What there's twelve, 12 games left to go. Yeah. Um, I think we set the challenge where we try to at least win like four or five. Yeah, I think if anything um, short term, yeah. anything that's not the wooden spoon after the start of the year that we've had, uh, or the first half of the year that we've had, would be a success from here. Mm. So let's pull uh, that out. Yeah, and then to go more into that question, where do we go from here? Like, a, like you, I think just touch on what you said. Uh, key uh, uh, players and key positions. Uh, we need to figure out first: is um, is Kyle Flanagan going to be a halfback moving forward? I know he's in reserve right now, but I think we need to make the decision: is he going to be our starting halfback, or we're our halves at least uh, moving forward? And um, with Matt Burton, or is it going to be Jake Avrillo with Matt Burton um, moving forward, or is it going to be? Uh, an outsider who's not at the club, as the rumour have it, Sean Johnson, but I won't touch too much. We just need to figure out who is going to be our number seven next year or, mm. you know, who's our six and seven going to be next year. We know Burton's going to be one. Uh, I think two, like you said, we the rumours of Nick Meany, I think we need to make a call on him quickly. Like the quotes he's been saying this week doesn't sound overly positive. Didn't sound overly negative either. His manager's in the hospital. Um, and was beating there since meeting with the Storm. Hasn't been able to put anything together with the Storm, but said that he's hasn't made any decision yet and is waiting to meet with the Bulldogs when his manager's healthy. Yeah. So, so I, I didn't read it as too negative. Yeah, I, I we need to sort out our fullback position. That fullback position, uh, you may say back since Luke Patton, it's been an issue for the Bulldogs for a long time. Like Luke Patton hasn't played in a while since 2011, if that if memory serves me like correctly, or even 2010. So that's like 10 years we've had issues. We had Ben Barber come flying through, and we thought, problem solved. We've got the long-term fullback, but we haven't really had a long-term fullback since. We've had people like Sam Parrott play in there for a while, mm. uh, Josh Morris. Uh, you've had Mitch Brown. You've had 
Well, there's a little but, sneaky rumour going around. It's gone around for a little while now that um, Avarillo will be fullback next year. Yeah, so I just want to... So we need to start making those... I know it's, it's looking forward making decisions next year, so I wouldn't mind that he played fullback uh, in junior grades and he's got like that yeah, part of battle. He's learning half, so staying in the halfback position for the rest of the year could be advantageous going forward Yeah, attacking well. play, yeah. So yeah. I think going forward, uh, where do we say it's going? I think at a car, if, you know, he stays fit and healthy and... Uh, out of trouble. Out of trouble. Oh, yeah, thank you for saying that. That he's going to be a key signing. He knows what winning is, and he's going to um, he's going to bring a joy to the club. That um, training harder. All reports is he trains harder than everyone, yeah. But just doesn't stop laughing doing it. So you know, so he's going to bring a joy to the club, and you know, bring enjoyment. Uh, he's going to be that character yeah. that everyone loves. So I think he's good. I just yeah, we just need to figure out who's going to be our number one next year. Uh, who's our spine? Our spine's been killing us, and I think we need to go. We need to get a hooker. We need to get a genuine number nine. No disrespect to Jeremy Marshall King. I think he would be a perfect uh, bench player. Covers a lot of positions. A perfect is that perfect res, uh, that utility of the bench. Can you know he would do a job at the outside backs if need to. He's quick enough to do yeah, that. He, he did that last year. Yeah, quick enough to do it to cause problems. He's also uh, you know, good. Def- he's a solid defender for his for his size. He's not much of him. He doesn't look uh, massive by any stretch of the imagination. Um, yeah, so not thing there so i really feel like we need to sit out our spine and you know like you said even this year we've we, this year sums up the last 10 years of our fullback in our hearts we just feel like we can't get anyone long term there so we need a uh i think that's that i think matt burton will help and i think Ado car will help but i think our spine we need to get some longer term players that are going to be the answer moving forward for at least the next five or six years at least um so yeah that's me right now uh what can we do to improve our defensive plays? I think what we can do to improve our defensive plays, this might sound silly, is uh, improving our attack by not uh, putting ourselves under pressure all the time. Uh, you, you look at Penrith uh, game, uh, Dallin's passed the ball backwards to uh, Moses Leota. He uh, went over. Um, you look at uh, Jake Averillo passing the ball to Dylan Napa just recently and the penalty try. You look at a lot of things that it's our errors. It's not just and, that; it's just it's also errors in our own half. Yeah, I was gonna. That was my next. Thing. Um, and then you know errors in our own half, and then there's some tries of kicks that sometimes you can't defend it. Like that Ryan Madison try. Like you talked about it going from back from the bunker, but you talk about that type of stuff. Sometimes you just can't. Yeah, you're just, making a lottery. Yeah, it's you can't do it, and you know when you're having a good year, it's, they find the chest more often, and for, as an attacking team, and it's not your year. Your jumps are slightly out, or you catch it and get hit, or you drop the ball. Um, so our defensive play, I think our defense has been not bad. I think there's been games that's been awful, or there's been just an individual or two who have not pulled their weight. But overall, as a team, it's been fine. Um, but yes, if we can actually not give away errors on the wrong side of the field, uh, our defense and our score lines against us will be much lower uh, moving forward. Our attacking play, I'm just going to go say you know, our spine is inexperienced and we need to figure out who's going to be the right ones moving forward in those positions. Um, and, yeah, I mean, maybe a ball-playing lock might be something or a ball-playing forward, someone who's got, like, a bit of a James Graham, add, like, another yeah. dimension to attack, maybe might be a way to move forward. Um, well, I was thinking maybe Burden fits in that lock, but I don't think we, after signing him, I think he is, would have some sort of Almost guarantee that he'd play 5 8. Uh, yeah, no, but yeah, I mean, he could be a lock. You never know. 
um, the old style, like when Brayford Astor back in the early 2000s mm. kind of played that style. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, a lot of things that you said, it's, you know, figure out thing like, just like, you know, our fullback this year has been Dallin, Meany, Dallin, Meany, and it's kind of like reminding me of the last 10 years that we just can't seem to hit that fullback. And I think it's like when you start a spine, like, you need someone, you know, constantly back there because they do a lot in defense more than uh, the casual viewer can see, you know, pointing plays in what directions. Uh, when people get up, they're like, go to the right or go to the left because they're watching the line, they're screaming at plays to slide and everything like that. Um, so the fullback does a lot of work and then calling the wingers back, having a different voice back there every time. And then, you know, having players just not be able to develop their skills because one week they're on the wing and, you know, doing those overlap, you know, those, those plays where you, you know, sweeping plays where do you pass to develop those skills of passing, running or kicking, doing the right option. Um, they don't get that much options because they don't do it that often because couple weeks later but that's been us for a long time like we've had different fullbacks for a while i only named a few of them that last 10 years so that'll make it easier when we figure out who's going to be our best number one moving forward but yeah i think it's just time we'll be fine i think we're in the right direction actually though okay next question yeah next one um comes from boido dot h underscore two on instagram uh, whether Johnson is worth it, uh, Sean Johnson that is, and what should our halves combos be? Um, is Sean Johnson worth it? Let's break that down. Should we get Sean Johnson <laughs> for next year? Well, that's two different questions. Yes, Sean Johnson is worth it. Um, he'd be valuable to any side that needs some experience in the halves. Should we buy Sean Johnson next year? No. Why? <laughs> Because of what we got. We're already um, Lake and Bird and, and Flanagan. And out of that, we need to pick our long-term halves. Um, out of that, they're the best options to play the next 10, 15 years as well, given age and all that as well. Uh, I suppose Sean Johnson could come in and help out with some experience, uh, lead around. And I think the idea has come from us missing out on Benji Marshall and seeing how Benji Marshall has done this year with Souths. And I don't think Sean is quite at the stage of his career yet where he can do what Benji's doing at Souths. And I'm not talking about just during the games. I think he's probably three or four years away from that. Mm. So, for where we're situated, for where our salary cap is, we don't need four halves on the salary cap. Um, we need to give the positions to two players going forward and say that, you know, they're yours, your position for the next 10 years if you can um, perform. Um, what was the other one? Who were for long term halves? Yeah, who should be the house moving forward? So I'm gonna guess I'm that's meaning more next year. Yeah, yeah. I'd still stick I'd still start the season with Bird and the Flanagan. Okay. Interesting. I yeah, I have to agree with what you first said with Johnson where I think it's more around the Benji Marshall. Uh him being that influence type of thing. But that's another thing is too, is if we do get Sean Johnson, like is it is it directly to be a halfback or five eight and one of the halves and be that, or can he be someone who does some of those bench st- stints like um, Benji's done as well, like in that sense as well? I know you talk about what he does off the field with training and uh, being a season pro, playing grand final winner, World Cup winner, and everything like that. Uh, Helping the halves during the week, becoming a coach on the out on the field and out on the training paddock. Don't think Sean Johnson's quite there. Yeah, but could like. 
It's interesting. Like, are we getting Sean Johnson if we get him? Are we? I I would imagine we'd get him to start a halfback with Burnout five eight. But could there be a possibility that we get Sean Johnson to be uh, on the interchange bench? Anything's possible because he's. Sorry, you go. He's like to say anything's possible. Is Sean Johnson the lock? Yeah. Who knows what way the game's going? Yeah, but because you look at Sean Johnson, he's still got that in him to impact a game and you know come on in the second half or late in the first half or whatever and turn the game on its head. Is he at the fullback? <laughs> well, you can't. Some of his try assists he does and stuff like that. He w- wouldn't be out of place in any attacking uh, plays, mm. and he's quick enough to cause damage. Like he's still got some. Tari's not as quick as he used to be all those years ago, but he's still got enough that da- uh, enough speed in his enough yeah speed in his legs to. You know, potentially do that. Maybe he's too old for that now in his career. That maybe three or four years ago might have been something they could have pulled up. Um, is Sean Johnson worth it? I think Sean Johnson is worth it. You know, uh, should we get him? But yeah, that's the next thing is how long, if we do get Sean Johnson as a starting halfback, how long does he got in him? Because he's in the 30s. Does he have three years? Can we guarantee that his body can have three years? Because he's had a couple of injuries at Cronulla. Um, Nothing that usually deteriorates the body and all that, but I don't know. Like, if you sign for three years, can we guarantee that he's going to last three years and produce the quality for the next three years? And because if that's the case, then you know you'd be tempted to sign him, and you probably keep Wakeham, and then I don't know. You might talk to Flanagan and say, as our reserve half. Or you're free to look at another like other options, but that's like where I've gone back before. We need to start making those decisions now, uh, not just for clubs' point of view, but for the individuals' point of view, so they can start looking what's best for them as well. Um, so that's the thing. I I think he's worth. I think he produced some really good games. It's I just would like to know more detail of what he's actually what's in mind for us. Like, is it to be that halfback or a bench player? Because I think he's worth it on both sides. But also, I think it's uh, you know it's that time of the year where we're over the halfway point, and I think the players deserve to know, in particular Flanagan and Wakeham and Lachlan Lewis to an extent that we, you know, still has that off contract this year. Should know if Johnson's coming, mm. especially more Flanagan thing because they can make the decision if they can be released at season's end. Or I've always enjoyed watching Sean play, so it'd be. Uh, from that point of view, I wouldn't mind having him at the club, but uh, just with the way the squad is at the moment, don't want to go from having too many second rowers and not enough props to having too many halves. And second rowers. <laughs> <laughs> and the final right. part of the question, sorry, was the halves moving forward. I would agree with you. I think uh, to start next year, I at this current point, I, I'm somebody who sits on the fence with Sean Johnson, so... It's not riveting listening. But at the current point, I'd probably say Burton and Flanagan in the halves. Avrilo at fullback, maybe, or uh, on the interchange bench or something. Or who knows, Burton at lock. Like, the spine's almost changing to 1, 6, 7, 9, and 13 in some clubs. So, oh, it's, it's been like that for a few years. Yeah, uh, but some clubs still have them as uh, bought, uh, just bought extra props. So hmm. I would say moving forward, I'd probably say I'd have to agree with you at this current point. Uh, Burton and Flanagan uh, into the house. I think Flanagan will have some big weeks for the Mounties. And I, it wouldn't surprise me at the season's end if Flanagan's forced his way back into the top grade spot on his own form. So hmm. that would be me. But in saying that, hey, if Sean Johnson's coming, um, I can pick him up from Cronulla if he likes and drive him to Belmore. 
All right, where can they find us on the social, Scotty? Uh, our Twitter is at NRL Bulldogs fans. Our Instagram is at NRL Bulldogs underscore fans. Our Facebook's NRL Bulldogs fans podcast. And at, uh, our email address is NRL Bulldogs dot fans at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.